Spencer Hall, so sometimes we begin this podcast with an anecdote. I'll ask you to paint a very descriptive picture for me of a scene. Or sometimes we take it up a thousand feet and I'll ask you for a big picture overview. But like, there's just way too much to get into with college football. So why not begin with one of the most fascinating characters in the game, Deion Sanders, now in Colorado. Spencer, they're taking on TCU in Fort Worth. It's a tough first test. What are the expectations for Primetime's team going into this one? Very low. (laughs) Very low, because one, I know that college football involves talent. I know that talent determines outcomes like 90% of the time. And that on the whole, though they have added, I believe, 50 new players, over 50 new players to the roster, completely turning over what that looks like. Y'all have to learn how to play together. It's game one. Y'all don't know how to play together. So I think expectations are going to be low, especially going up against a very good TCU team who had a superb 2022 and then started 2023 with uh, a game we don't need to mention. I'll mention this. Deion Sanders is one of the most polarizing characters in the game. So just describe to me how Deion Sanders is viewed around college football. I think that he's there's a there's a duality here. I think everybody knows that a lot of the Dion bluster is for promo. If uh, everything is professional wrestling, then he's the guy who's really good on the mic. I understand that. I also think that anybody who follows the game knows that there is a danger of him being very good at his job. Because to ignore all of the PR, to ignore all of the bravado, and just focus on what he can do. He's pretty good at Jackson State. And to be fair, he could make Colorado something that they haven't been in a long time, which is competitive. Now, that said, it's the Colorado job. It is a job killer. It is a career killer. They have had very few good seasons in the 2000s. And the ones that they have had have been followed by very bad seasons. It's a hard place to recruit. It's a place without a lot of local talent. So Steve Hill, he might be really good at it. Then again, he might go ahead and say, nah, I've had enough of this. Take the first job he can get in Texas and jet. I think he quits after one year and takes another job. And I think he can cite any number of reasons for doing it. My number one would be this. It's Colorado, y'all. I didn't know it would be this bad. See you later. It's Colorado, y'all. I can't wait for that as his uh, epic sign-off. Yeah, that sounds ridiculous. But go back and look at the history of Deion Sanders' soundbites and tell me it's not possible. Whether or not the Coach Prime experiment works in Colorado there's certainly been a lot of talking about it through the offseason. But that's been the case everywhere in college football. With realignment changing everything we thought we knew about conferences and rivalries, and the transfer portal constantly churning out familiar faces in new places, this feels like the end of one era for the sport and the start of something brand new. It's almost enough to make you forget that there are games to play this year. Almost. So today, Spencer Hall joins us to preview the new season of what has become America's most consistently insane sport, college football. I'm Emily Kaplan. It's Monday, August 28th. 
This is ESPN Daily. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Okay, Spencer, we should probably start with the SEC, the conference of all conferences, the one nobody would dare to bolt in realignment. And there's a new power on top, and that's Georgia, which is going for a three-peat national championship. How would you assess their chances? Pretty good. Pretty, pretty good? Yeah, pretty, pretty good. Um, when you've recruited this well for as long as Georgia has, and you have coached this well, and you have had, you haven't missed. That said, they do have to replace a lot of talent. And they have to actually replace talent both behind the scenes and on the field. At the quarterback spot, they have Carson Beck, who if you were looking at Carson Beck, who will be the starter at Georgia, replacing Stetson Bennett. If you look at him, this is nothing but an upgrade on paper. This is a taller player. This is a player with a better recruiting profile. This is a player who's more of a prototypical quarterback. This is a player who did not win two national championships in a row, which is what Stetson Bennett did. And you have now the likely success replacing the unlikely champion. That's a very weird place for Georgia to be in to say, well, this guy looks better. But we're worried. <laughs> we're worried because of the lack of experience. You also have to make sure that you're doing things behind the scenes in terms of transitioning the offense because offensive coordinator Todd Munkin is gone. Todd Munkin is now with the Baltimore Ravens and is going to be doing, I think, really interesting things with Lamar Jackson and that offense. They made a lot of things work without a clear number one wide receiver. Their best receiver is a dude named Brock Bowers. who Brock Bowers might actually be Clark Kent in addition to being a superhuman talent on the field, an incredible blocker, an amazing receiver with blistering speed and a great understanding of space and where to be in the passing game. He's also a really nice dude. Most of the time when you hear about a player, they say, oh, that's that guy. Like, like that's the man. Nobody at Georgia says that. They'll be like, oh yeah, he's incredible. And just the nicest guy. Oh my God, he's the nicest guy. He's been their number one dude. They need to go ahead and develop somebody who can take some of that pressure off, particularly because the other guy who took pressure off them in the passing game, Darnell Washington, is also gone to the NFL draft. It should say something about the level of talent, Emily, at Georgia, that Darnell Washington was roughly the size of a house, like not exaggerating, like a cartoonishly large human being who could run like a four, six, and he was the number two tight end on that team. So what I'm hearing from you, Spencer, is even though they have some questions, you love this team. Yeah. And do you know who probably hates it? Nick Saban. Because I'm Absolutely. sure it's not been easy for him to be a like second fiddle all of a sudden. Like, I'm just curious, how would you assess where Alabama's at as a program right now? Uh, Alabama's interesting because they have, they continue to bring in, you know, number one, number two recruiting classes. But that talent hasn't quite hit like Georgia's has. And it hasn't been put in the same sort of position to succeed. They don't have a clear answer at pass rusher, which used to be something at Alabama that was 100% set before the season ever started. They don't really have a trademark dude who's a run blocker up the middle. They don't have the obvious quarterback. And the guys that they do have all have question marks. 
Tyler Buckner, who's coming in from Notre Dame, and Jalen Milrow are two guys who are going to be competing for that position. And for, for Milrow's a scrambler. Uh, Buckner needs to prove himself. There's a lot of unknowns there. And that goes back to the coaching side, too. Um, they've had to replace offensive coordinators. They have a new offensive coordinator this year, Tommy Reese. They're going to have a new defensive coordinator after letting go of Pete Golding, who I believe is now at Old Miss. So th- there are so many different balls in the air for Alabama. And the guy who has to keep them juggling is older, deeply experienced, and maybe underestimated in terms of what this team can do because the talent is obviously still there. But in terms of developing it, that's something this group hasn't done before. If anyone can do it, it's Nick. But everyone's human. Everyone is human. And, you know, you're mentioning, you know, all of these question marks and it's doom and gloom by Alabama standards, but they're still opening the season as a top five team. So I'm just mm-hmm. curious, with this big task at hand, again, by Alabama standards, you said everyone's human. Nick Saban is now 71 years old. How does this change things for him? Does this maybe change what we can expect from the end of his tenure at Alabama? Well, endings are tough. There's very few coaches who have ended their careers at you know, 11 and one, 10 and two, very few coaches take the hint when they win a championship when they're older and then retire on the spot. Going out on top is not the norm. Going out on top is not the norm for the greats at Alabama. Like, Emily, just to give you an idea, the bad coaches at Alabama have won 10 games. The (laughs) bad ones, and I say that with quotes around bad. The really good ones win 10 games and ask what went wrong. And that's the standard that Nick Saban has happily fulfilled for them for a very, very long time. There are obvious threats and there are obvious changes to the staff and pressures all around that haven't interrupted the recruiting, but have obviously affected the on-field product at the margins. You know who notices those margins? No one except Alabama fans. Okay, so moving on to the next best conference, if we're keeping score, that would be the Big Ten. And before this conference looks completely different next year, becoming absolutely foreign from a geographical perspective, and I promised Spencer beforehand, no realignment talk, just realignment references. How do you handicap things in the Big Ten? The Big Ten has two of the best teams in the nation. Either one of them could easily win a national title. That's Michigan and Ohio State. It is almost always Michigan and Ohio State. But let's just say, especially this year, it is Michigan and Ohio State. Ohio State's, I think, the more interesting team in terms of a preseason look because the potential is so high, but they have so many serious questions to answer. They have to replace some talent along the offensive line. They've had a change on the offensive coaching staff. Kevin Wilson is gone to coach Tulsa, and he is being replaced by the promoted Brian Hartline, who's done an incredible job with their wide receivers. I don't know if you've noticed, Ohio State just burps out a first rounder every year at, at wide receiver. This year's edition is going to be Marvin Harrison Jr., who for some reason is still allowed to play college football against lesser beings. I don't really know why. He's an incredible wide receiver. He's going to be an amazing pro. No one doubts this. And he is going to have someone throwing to him. We're not exactly sure because they haven't decided who the starting quarterback is going to be yet. So there's big questions there. Their defense is going to be improved. That was the part last year that I think at times broke down. And that was mainly due to not a lack of talent, but a lack of communication. At times, they were really aggressive when they shouldn't be, maybe missed an assignment. And when you miss those assignments in games against Michigan, they sometimes go for, you know, 60-yard runs that you can't afford. They came so close to beating Georgia last year. Stetson Bennett had to make the best two passes of his career on the last drive 
in order to beat them. They are, I think, at worst, the third best team in the nation and could easily be a number one. Let's go to Michigan, though, because Michigan's a very different team. They have a lot more settled in terms of talent. They're just going to need some differences at the margins. They're good along both lines, but don't have a clear pass rush, which is a thing. They don't really have a standout wide receiver, and that's not going to be an issue until it is. And by that, I mean... (laughs) If your run game, which they have two of the best backs in the country, like like the Big Ten is like old school 1990s deep at running back right now. And Michigan and Penn State are probably the two best examples of that. But at times when you need a play down the field, when you need to open up and sort of spread the defense, see if you can take the top off and open up some room in the running game, they have to prove that they can do that. And J.J. McCarthy, I think, has to avoid some of the like, big catastrophic mistakes that sometimes he's capable of because he's an aggressive quarterback. He'll put the ball downfield. And sometimes when you do that, the ball finds the other team and it does it at times like in the TCU game when Michigan got down and they could never really come back. That said, we just went through like five minutes of talking about all of the faults of these various teams. <laughs> They're great. Like they are both great football teams and it won't matter at all for Michigan Jim Harbaugh won't be coaching uh, the first three games due to some NCAA nonsense. Don't worry about that because those three games are layups. They, they've got a very manageable schedule and it's going to come down to Michigan, Ohio State again, which is awesome. Every year that game's a movie. Every single year. It is awesome. It's amazing for people like you who cover the sport. It's amazing for most of the country. Do you know who it's not amazing for, Spencer? Hmm. Me, because you just said that Ohio State and Michigan are number one and two in the conference, and I am a sheepish Penn State alumna that has to ask you about the Nittany Lions, but give me some hope here. Is there any chance we break through? There is hope, and it's hope that rides on the mighty shoulders of Nick Singleton and Catron Allen, you know, vying for best running back duo. Both of those dudes are incredible. What you need is for Drew Aller to come along at quarterback. You know, Michigan and Penn State are kind of mirror images of each other because they both need the quarterback to sort of prove that they can be stable and productive because the assets that they need to get a good play action game and to really keep the pressure off the quarterback, they're there. You've already got that. Okay. You have two guys who could be thousand yard backs. They were nearly thousand yard backs each last year. And if you can do that, I'm, I'm getting older and I think I'm acquiring some curmudgeonly and definitely avuncular tendencies. And one of them is this. You need to run the ball. I don't really care how you do it with the quarterback. I don't care if you call 18 reverses a game. What you need to do is you need to run the ball because it fixes everything. It takes the pressure off your defense. It it opens up the play action game. It opens up space on the field that you wouldn't have otherwise. You have to be able to run the ball and close out games if you already have the lead with all of that delightful passing. And I think that Penn State is capable of protecting a lead and producing on the ground. What they need to show is that they're capable of keeping a defense on their toes in the passing game. Drew Aller is more than talented enough to do that. All right, Spencer, let's talk about two conferences most ravaged by realignment, the Pac-12 and the Big 12 after the break. Now let's talk about the play of the week. 
The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue, and ready for the play. And boom, Añejo Tequila came in with the smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is hypnotic and tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Delicious, meat nutritious, in the snack that packs a real protein punch. Wonderful pistachios, one of the highest protein nuts out there. Each one-ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. Wonderful pistachios also come in a variety of flavors and sizes, perfect for enjoying with family and friends or taking them with you on the go. And you're on the go a lot, taking the kids to school, hopping from meeting to meeting, shopping for groceries. Well, the good news is not only are wonderful pistachios a complete protein, providing all nine essential amino acids, they're also great for all your adventures. So whether you're a pistachio purist who loves cracking open every nut or you prefer the convenience of no-shells pistachios, Wonderful Pistachios has got you covered. Grab Wonderful Pistachios and elevate your snacking game today. Visit wonderfulpistachios.com to learn more. Okay, Spencer, let's move down our conference power rankings, and the ACC is likely next. Clemson has dominated recently. They've won seven of the last eight ACC titles. They're the only team from the conference to win a college football playoff championship. Are they firmly still in control here? I believe they are. This is a team that's not far off from another playoff run and definitely not far off from another title. They went out and got Garrett Riley, who was the offensive coordinator at TCU last year, who's going to bring in and liven up the offense there. Cade Klubnik, I think, is going to have more protection this year than he had last year. I think he's going to have better options downfield. This will be a spread offense that you're going to see. It will be one, though, that runs the ball a lot. TCU ran the hell out of the ball when Riley was their offensive coordinator. I think they're going to do the same thing again. They have the talent to do that. I just think they need to go ahead and see whether their quarterback can develop a little bit more along on defense, though. Same story as usual. There's big, big, mean, arrive at the ball with bad intentions. That's They are still the most talented team in the ACC by far. So what about Florida State? Because they've been college football royalty for so long, but it's been a dip lately. How do you assess where Florida State's at right now? I think they're in a pretty good place, and they're heading to a really, really good place. Clemson is the most talented team, and the team that's going to be the most exciting to watch is going to be Florida State because they are built for big plays, and they are built with an attitude of 14 points doesn't matter, 21 points doesn't matter, if we're down by 28, whatever. Right, good, fine, good. Now we know how many points we need to score. They have big players who don't really get rattled and who make very, very large plays and aren't afraid to improvise. Jordan Travis at QB. Jordan Travis at QB is a joy to watch. I'm a Florida fan. Kind of hate saying that, but he's irrepressible. He's he's complete. You have to you have to love it. It's okay. It's probably much easier to say you're a Florida fan than a Penn State fan, I, I think. They're not making a glorified documentaries about us these days. That's, <laughs> I think Florida State's going to be the most exciting team to watch. They are a ton of fun. They take big swings. Sometimes they miss. Um, I just love the attitude of that team. I know that's deep statistical analysis there. But when you go like, hey, what do you like about Florida State? It's like, I just love the fact that they, they expect to play four quarters at full tilt 
Like they don't really let up and they make big mistakes, but they get big plays too. That's a fun team to watch. I'm in. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Again, I promised you no conference realignment talk, just references. So as we enter the big 12 discussion, we do know that Texas and Oklahoma are preparing to step into the SEC next season. But before they do, how would you describe where both of these programs are at right now? Texas is at the risk of being crushed by expectations because they really should win that conference and they really should have aspirations beyond the conference championship this year. And that hasn't been a good thing for them in the past. I think the rebuild project is not done, obviously, because we're not talking about championships or titles. But at the same time, they're not far from it. And Quinn Ewers, if they can keep Quinn Ewers upright, they would have beaten Alabama last year. I think there's a lot of people who picked them to beat Alabama straight up in Tuscaloosa this year. And that is taking a step forward. But they've got two questions. Defensively, they've got to be more consistent. And offensively, they're going to have to replace the best thing they had, which is B. John Robinson. We devalue running backs left and right. He meant everything to that team. And we're about to see how hard it will be to replace him. Oklahoma's tricky. They were so shocked by being not good at all at times last year. In fact, being outright bad in the transition from Lincoln Riley to the new regime of Brent Venables that the there's just a way that a, a, a team can be bad in a way that sort of shakes people's confidence to their core. And that's how bad they were at times last year. I don't want that to carry over too much into this year. And I don't think it will for the players, but the first time they struggle this year, I think that's that feeling is going to come right back. Like I think Brad Venables is going to rely on his defense. That's the thing he needs. And they're not quite there yet. Oklahoma's never really had those guys up front like other major programs have. They've kind of relied on the offense to just outscore people when they got in trouble. And trying to do that without having the horses in the stable to do that, I think that might get them into some trouble. All right, what about TCU? Because they shocked the world making it to the national title game last year. But Spencer, they lost a lot of firepower to the draft, including quarterback Max Duggan. Do we still believe in them, or is their Cinderella ride about to turn into a pumpkin? Oh, they're still going to be good. They're really still going to be good. But, like, this will be a return to the norm. You know, this will be, I think, a, a regression to the mean of sorts. The mean is still pretty good for them. But they lost their pass rushers. They lost Max Duggan. They're sort of the, the heart and soul of that team. I just think that you're, you're looking at a team that has had to replace too much. And Sonny Dykes, if you don't know as a coach, offensive forward. That's a gentle way of saying it. This is somebody who believes that the best defense is a good offense. And then when you run out of that offense, you should just go get more. Um, if you look at their transfer portal acquisitions, there's like two or three defenders and the rest are just like wide receivers and running backs, just going to get more weapons. That's it. So I think a lot of what you were able to see last year in terms of TCU's defense, they might regress and come back off that. It might start to look a little bit more like a classic Sonny Dykes team. And by that, I mean, it's going to be a lot of 49, 47 games on the schedule, y'all. Okay, let's talk Pac-12. On Friday, we covered in depth the USC Trojans and their plan to go all in behind Heisman Trophy winner Caleb Williams. But what about the team that beat them in the Pac-12 championship game last year, Utah? You'll be in Salt Lake City in person on Thursday night when Utah hosts your Florida Gators. So, what should we be expecting out of the Utes this season? Uh, more of the same. Brutality. That's the, the This is the meanest team in the Pac-12 year in and year out, where everyone else sort of zigged into offense-first football, aggressive, 
high-flying offenses. Utah stuck to ground and pound, and that's what they've done during Kyle Whittingham's entire tenure at Utah, and it works. It's kind of beautiful up close. Uh, I'm going to have to watch my team likely get, you know, like knocked out by it, and I'm just going to have to respect it because they have a they have a quarterback, Cam Rising, who is just one of those dudes who extends plays, make things happen, capable of passing a little, capable of running a little, and manages to do all of that in a really timely fashion. They have a good run game. They're going to be improved along the defensive line. Utah's known for these aggressive defensive line first kind of defenses that really just mash people out. I, I think they're still, in my mind, the favorite, especially with the experience of quarterback to win the conference. One thing I'm curious about, what is the Spencer Hall in-stadium viewing experience like? Like, what's your Thursday night going to be like? Well, let's see. You always go with a friend. You don't want to be like the lone guy crying up there. You need someone <laughs> to joke with. Uh, if we're leading and I'm on the road, which I will be, you're real quiet because you're not stupid. You don't want to get hit in the head with something heavy. Uh, if you're losing, be conversational. Joke about it because that'll get you through it. I tend to like sort of talk to the game a little bit. Like I have, if you can see it's going to be a trick play, I am the moron who yells out trick play. That's me. <laughs> I'm that guy. It's good because the defense can totally hear you and adjust. Uh, they never do. What? They never do. I keep trying. I really keep trying. I did one time almost swear that a guy had heard it. It was at the cocktail party, which is Florida, Georgia and Jacksonville. Georgia lined up in this weird formation and I screamed out, that's a play action pass. And I swear to God, one guy on the UF sidelines was like, yeah, yeah, man. Oh no. <laughs> like, <laughs> he turned like, Mr. In the stands, you're totally right. <laughs> and I was, because that was part of a drive that ultimately ended up sealing the game for Georgia. It's a lot of fun. Well, this has been a lot of fun, too. Spencer, thank you for bringing your knowledge to get us all prepared for the college football season. I now need to do no further research, so thank you. It's my pleasure. I'm Emily Kaplan. This has been ESPN Daily. We'll talk to you tomorrow.